Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Three major structures used for the house of God in the Old Testament. The Tabernacle of Moses, which is a picture of the law. The Tabernacle of David, a picture of grace and Solomon's temple, a kingdom that's coming. Adjectives grow useless and redundant in describing Solomon's temple. Ornate, elaborate, intricate, extravagant. This was the place for which Israel had hungered so long. When Shiloh, the Ark of the Covenant, rested for 430 years, not in a beautiful home, but in a badger skin covered tent. David longed to build a house for God's presence. But he wasn't allowed, so he accumulated materials and money. His desire was credited to him as an accomplished fact. That's the worth of a wish. David's son Solomon built the house for God's presence. 30,000 men cut timber in the forests of Lebanon. 80,000 men cut stone in the quarries west of Jerusalem. 70,000 men served as general laborers on the project. Architects, craftsmen, came from Hiram, the king of Tyre. They directed the workers so that there was silence within the temple. All of the cutting, the hammering, was done elsewhere. Like God's temple today, this is a silent building program. After seven years, the elaborate workmanship drew to a close. The temple was finished. It was moving day. There would only be a single piece of furniture moved from the old tabernacle into Solomon's temple. That would be the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark had seen many places of abode. Its first home was portable, the Tabernacle of Moses. It rested in the Promised Land for several centuries in the Tabernacle of Shiloh. Lost on a battlefield, it was in the hands of the Philistines. It came to the Philistine temple dedicated to the fish god Dagon. The Ark soon became an unwelcome visitor there. It was returned to Israel parked in the houses of Abinadab and then Obedidim, David brought the ark to a tabernacle he had pitched in Jerusalem. And for 40 years, it rested in that open tent where David worshipped until Solomon could finish the temple. Imagine the ark's trip to Solomon's temple. All 12 tribes came to celebrate that day. Each rejoiced for God's presence had finally had a home. The procession made its way between two huge columns, one named Boaz, in God their strength, the other was named Jacob, in God there is direction, two things everybody needs at the house of God, strength and direction. The process led past a huge altar. Israel had grown. Growth calls for more sacrifice. It passed a huge brazen sea mounted on 12 brazen oxen. Israel had grown. Growth calls for deeper purity. It passed by 12 tables of showbread, illuminated by 12 golden candlesticks. Israel had grown. Growth calls for brighter revelation. It passed by 12 golden altars of incense. Growth calls for higher intercession. But only the ark was the same. There are some things that don't change. The spirit, the truth, the blood will always remain the same. But notice that of the increase of his government, there will be no end, that God's kingdom always is growing. 
I know there's a time in our own personal lives for gain and loss. I recognize the tide rises and falls just as the sun rises and set. I know there, there is a time for addition and even for subtraction. But I believe that we are in a season of great growth in this kingdom, that it's the modus operandi of God that he saves the best for last, that it's the divine motif revealed in his first miracle at Cana of Galilee that he saves the best for last, that the latter will be greater than the former. When Ezekiel saw God's house, the higher one climbed, the larger each room became. When Ezekiel saw the river of God, the farther it flowed, the wider and deeper it grew. God has saved the best for last. It just seems that the closer we get to the end of it all, that God will begin to multiply his mercies. My name is Ken Gurley, and all this week on Daily Devotion, we're talking about the grace and mercies of God, and we note that as we draw close to the end of the age, the mercies of God become more expansive. The adjective used more of God than any other in Scripture is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. That's the threefold chant of the seraphim that fly around his throne. Another adjective used not quite so often is to describe God as merciful. Paul called him the father of mercies. The psalmist and the apostle John combined to picture his presence as one that flows with mercy. Forty-one times in the Old Testament, we're told to praise God for a simple reason, his enduring mercy. Twenty-six times in the 136th Psalm, the psalmist urges us to praise God for his abiding mercy, for his mercy endures forever. Twenty-six times we're reminded to praise God for his goodness. Twenty-six times we're reminded that God is merciful because he is good. Twenty-six times we're reminded that God is a giving God. And yes, twenty-six times we are reminded that any goodness God shows is his mercy being revealed. Twenty-six, one for each letter in the English alphabet. We're reminded that God is good from alpha to omega, beginning and end, from the A to the Z. Oh, I feel like worshiping this God of all mercy to praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. God seems singularly discontent with leaving his mercy in the singular. He likes to get mercy into the plural. It's not just mercy, it's mercies. He's the father of mercies and he is rich in mercy, Ephesians 4.24. An infinite God with infinite goodness chooses to multiply his mercy. Nehemiah 9 and Isaiah 55, we read that God's mercies are called many, and he multiplies them to those in need. First Chronicles 21, his mercies are called great, and he magnifies his mercies to cover the need. In Isaiah 55, his mercies are called sure, and he expands those to secure those in need. In Psalm 119, we read that his mercies are called tender. His tender mercies strengthen those who are weak. His mercies are called unfailing, Habakkuk 3 and Lamentation 3. The fig tree, the vine, the flock may fail, but the Lord's mercies are unfailing. God has many great, sure, tender and unfailing mercies at his disposal. 
He's rich in mercy. It's in the so-called second giving of the law. God introduced himself to Moses, the one who is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness, keeping mercy for thousands. We read that in Exodus 34. Mercy for thousands, thousands of people, thousands of generations, thousands of needs and transgressions. There is mercy, multiplied mercies. God gives these seasons of multiplication where he just gets on this multiplying binge. In Acts 2, God added to the church daily. In Acts 12, God multiplies his church. I believe that the Lord is longing to multiply people in our midst. It's no accident. It's providence. It's not fate. It's not the luck of the draw. It's not chance, the roll of the dice. It's not in man's plan. This is in God's plan that you and I are stepping into a new season. As we get into the last days, we know that it's God's way to bless the latter end more than the former end. We just have to step into that provision, step into that new season. No man, the Bible says, having drunk old wine will straightway desire the new. The old going out always fights the new coming in. You and I must decide, I want this new season in my life. I want to see the mercies, the multiplied mercies God has prepared for me. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me a while back and said, God is getting you ready for what he has ready for you. That's what's happening in our day and in our age. God is increasing the capacity so that he can pour out his blessings. You remember the people of God were told to make the valley full of ditches. That may be the way some of us feel. We have worked and worked and not seen the completion of what God is wanting to do. But you are the one who determines the depth and the width of his provision, how powerful his glory reveals itself, the anointing, what he does. You determine that by creating the capacity for a greater glory, a greater anointing, a greater blessing. I know the devil meant it to kill you. I know he meant to drive you out. I know he meant to convince you that everything was hopeless. I know it may have been hard, dry, and I know you have felt like everyone was just throwing dirt in your face, kicking sand in your eyes. But all of this was in preparation. God took you through that time of subtraction that he may bring you into a season of addition. He took you through that time of division where the multiplication can begin. It's a new season. It's the due season where Elijah says, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I don't come with platitudes today. I come to you with a sure word of prophecy that I feel a new wind blowing and I can sense a new day is dawning. I hear a breakthrough coming. Mercies are multiplying. Miracles are showing up on the horizon. I read the story a while back of a man who was in an automobile accident while unconscious, nearly comatose. God took him on a journey to different places in time to visit with people who had something to say to him, something that could change his life. 
One of his final visits was not on earth but in heaven, and the person that met with him was not a man, but the angel Gabriel. When the man gets over his amazement, he looks around and realizes that Gabriel is leading him through a large building. It's filled with many things, papers and photographs and shelves stuffed full of items. They walk and walk and walk, but never seem to get closer to the end of the building. Finally, they stop, and the man asks, have I seen it all? Gabriel said, you've only seen a tiny fraction of this facility. A lifetime of wandering would not cover it all. And sadly, it gets bigger each and every day. The man was exasperated and asked, what is this place? The angel answered, these are the answers to unasked prayers. These are the dreams and the goals of the less courageous. Kathy Toops once wrote, in the inner realm of heaven above, we're all discussed with perfect love. He longs to give what we yearn for ourselves, yet blessings lay unclaimed on hundreds of shelves. God has plans for you. God has plans for your family. He has plans for your church. He has plans for all of your future. And that plan is good. I know the thoughts I think concerning you, the Lord said, thoughts of good and not evil, that whatever God has done for you in the past, he can excel in the future. Whatever the enemy has taken from you, God can give back several times over. You and I are entering into a season of multiplied mercies, that God is going to pour out his grace and his mercy in your life. Why don't you open your heart today and say, mercy, Lord, I need mercy. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed, 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way until we meet again.